What's going on? And welcome to the Mike Janella Show. I'm your host, Mike. Obviously, this is my 72nd podcast episode. Hopefully, won't be my last. This week, coming up in just a little bit, we have Brad Smith. He's an anchor for Cheddar, the bleeding post-cable network, talking financials and tech and uh, politics and all kinds of new stuff. It's, it's news for millennials for the next generation. It's blowing up right now. And Brad's the guy we're going to talk to about that, about his history working at NASDAQ. He's going to give you some financial advice, the one stock you should be buying for the next 20 years, uh, that kind of stuff. And we'll talk a lot of Philly sports and sports in general. So it's a real fun chat. And Brad's coming up in just a little bit. But first, we start every show with my new segment, Don't Get It Twisted. And fittingly, because Brad is coming on and we're going to be talking a lot about finance because that's what he really has a handle on professionally, uh, I wanted to talk about a little bit of finance too. This will only be a minute and a half or so. Uh, if you don't want to hear this, just hit that plus 15 button until you hear Brad's voice come on. But uh, I recently, this is my first real public comments on this, uh, recently lost my job. I worked for Little Things. Uh, which was a digital media company. And as of two weeks ago, exactly of this recording, the company shut down. They just uh, could not operate anymore financially. We all got an email at the end of the workday saying, uh, yeah, don't come in tomorrow. You're good. Uh, and that's been an interesting week or two coming to terms with that. But uh, speaking of financials, this is something I just wanted to talk about uh, from my personal experience. If I have any advice to people going through the same situation Save your money. That is the the biggest lesson I've learned these last two weeks. Um, There were a lot of people that were colleagues of mine there and friends who now were wondering, how am I going to pay my next rent check? How am I going to order my next round of groceries? What am I going to do? And uh, unfortunately, I've gone through this before, having been unemployed or freelancing, not knowing where my next paycheck's coming from. But the fortunate aspect of that is that I've learned a couple things. And number one is obviously to save that cash. Uh, The golden rule is to have about six months of living expenses tucked away, right, for a rainy day. I know and understand that that is not feasible for a lot of people. And uh, don't get it twisted. That's where the name of the segment comes from. I had a lot of advantages. I came out of school, out of college with no student loan debt whatsoever, uh, thanks to uh, partially my scholarships that I earned and partially money my parents had been saving themselves uh, my whole life to pay for college. And uh, besides literally giving me birth, I think coming out of school with no college uh, debt was the second best thing that my parents uh, ever did for me because I was able to start saving right away. They also gave me a little bit of cash to start out. But, you know, every month since I've had a job, I tuck away a little bit of cash into a savings account. And once I hit that six-month bar, then I start investing in retirement funds and the stock market and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it is just so nice to know you have a bed to land on, a parachute for yourself. If you do go through some hard times, to be able to get through them. So again, I'm not getting it twisted. I know that I'm in a much better situation than most, but whatever you can do. I've had the same gym clothes for the last 12 years. I still have jackets and shirts that I've been wearing for 15 years because I just don't like spending money on that kind of stuff. I'd rather save and spend on other things and you know whatever it takes for you, whether it's getting the dollar slice of pizza for lunch instead of the $20 sushi with delivery fee and tipping and taxes, Save money where you can, because a lot of us uh, will have to go through some hardship at some point or another, and the more cash you have to fall back on, the easier it's going to be. All right, this is a lot longer than a minute and a half, two minutes. I apologize for that already, but uh, let's get to them. And if you're a first-time listener, a friend of Brad's, or a co-worker, if you come here for the first time, find the show, Mike Janela Show, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Play, uh, Stitcher. And you know what? While we're here, throw me a review. Maybe five stars if you're up for it. I'd be down for that. Or write a couple nice words. Subscribe, of course. I would absolutely love that. We talk to a lot of cool people all the time. I have some fun guests, secret ones, planned for the rest of the month. But uh, without further ado, enough from just me. Let's welcome our guest this week. Joining me this week, he is an anchor at Cheddar, the Post Cable Network, and here to tell us all about it, talk some finance, working at NASDAQ, how he got to where he is. It's the one, the only, on the day of his vacation starting, Brad Smith. What's up, man? Hey, what's going on, Mike? Good to talk with you. The leading post cable network, I might add. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, not just any, but the number one. And yes. well-deserved. <laughs> we want to make sure we get that completely uh, right before we get anything else started. <laughs> um, yeah, Brad, you have a super interesting career that started not on camera at all, but now you are one of the anchors for this leading like news of the future organization, which is awesome. I want to talk to you about all that. But... I start the same way with every guest every week, and maybe I already alluded to it with saying that you're starting on vacation uh, this week today, but I ask everyone, what's the best thing that's happened to you in the past week? Brad, what is it? Is it vacation or something else? Wow, past week. It's been really interesting week in terms of how the news cycle has been going. Um, we can't even call it a cycle at this point, right? There's just so much that comes out of whether it's DC or whether it's consolidation across business and a lot of activity being shaken up across sectors and industries. The most exciting thing though, you know, I, I would have to even generalize it even more and just say all the activity that we've been seeing, specifically healthcare and how big tech is getting even more so involved and we're seeing you know, in the past week, more of that consolidation taking place. We've saw, uh, we've watched how CVS and Aetna have come together. We're watching now as well in terms of the most recent deal with Cigna um, and making their acquisition. And so it, it's really interesting to watch. And you've got some historical kind of context as well with Amazon, Amazon coming together with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan trying to create more of a healthcare partnership there. And, you know, when we think about just the industries that are absolutely being disrupted by some of these big players, and of course, everybody is looking over their shoulder at Amazon right now. But when you think about big tech specifically, and how they're getting into such a critical industry for so many Americans, so many people everywhere, in fact, healthcare and big tech, this has been one of the ones that I've been following very closely. Uh, we love to talk about it at Cheddar. It's one of my favorite areas to cover. And I would say just some of the most recent deals that have come through, um, especially the Cigna one, as, as I'm friends with somebody who works at Cigna. And we were actually just talking about some of their previous attempts, uh, I believe, on the front of United Healthcare between Cigna and United Healthcare way back when. And so we were talking about that just two weeks ago. And then for this deal to come across uh, and, and be on the table, this is really exciting times, um, you know, and an amazing consolidation that we're watching. Um, so that's that's probably the most exciting thing for me to keep track of right now. And let me know how it goes, because I just lost my health benefits two weeks ago. So I am very much in this uh, realm now. And I'm watching you every day to see what I'm learning uh, to make my my life better in that regard. Uh, all right, Brad, let's talk about stuff in general. So we've already mentioned, and people get the gist, I think, from just your answer before, what Cheddar's all about, right? It's finding, it's being on the trends, but on the important trends, politics, healthcare, tech, news. 
we've mentioned it too. It's, you know, the, this post-cable network. So explain what that means. People that maybe had never heard of Cheddar or they, they have heard of it, seen an episode. It's like they're on their Twitter feed. They don't know how it got there. What is it that Cheddar is, if you can <laughs> encapsulate that easily? Yeah, absolutely. So Cheddar, being a post-cable network, essentially means that when you think about some of the historical players in this space and how they've relied so much on broadcast television to go to the consumer and intertwined advertising to sustain their business model, the different way that we've approached that is going to exactly where the latest viewership trends are, which is to some of these big social platforms, whether it is Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, you know, we're taking our content there. It is there. We're partnering and we've got partnerships already with the likes of Sling TV, Roku. And so being on all of these apps where people still have the opportunity to engage with us similarly uh, similarly to how they would engage with even Netflix, where they can have the app on their television. I would I went to my uncle's house over um, over the Christmas break and showed him all he needs to do is hold down the button on his Comcast remote that allows him to speak into it and say, you know, find Cheddar or just search Cheddar and it would come up. And so he could be watching us. And so it's a whole new way for people to engage with us. And we take it one step further because we specifically have the opportunity to engage directly with our users. This is something that we really pride ourselves on is the ability to have comments coming in and have tweets coming at us. And throughout the episode, we, we intertwine them and weave them into the conversation that's taking place. And so that's something that really excited me ahead of time. Of course, you mentioned some of my previous uh, background and we can get into that later at NASDAQ. And it was, it was more so on the Facebook live side and some other roles prior to that. But that's something that really excited me about what Cheddar was doing. Obviously love the leadership, the backgrounds that they come from. And so it just seemed like the right place to be at for me. And I love all the cutting edge um, creations that we, we consistently come up with, you know, even in the past six months, it's really kind of uh, to take the quote of Ron Burgundy, it's escalated quickly, but in the best <laughs> way. Well, don't throw tridents at anybody. And I think you'll be good there for a little while. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I like what you said there about how you guys try different things and the ideations and all that different stuff. Cause that's, you can say you're a post cable network and you can literally mean, Oh, we're just not on cable. You have to find us on sling or through your smart remote or anything like that. But how does that affect what you guys actually do content wise? Like, are you intentionally designing your shows every day, your segments, your guests based on, Hey, we're doing something different than, CNN or CNBC or, you know, Fox News and like any one in the past, or is it just where you're found that makes you guys different? You know, I, I think there's a, a few different things, right? And so if we look at how everyone approaches content very generally, what is the breaking news? What are some of the topics that people need to know about? And then there's another kind of bucket that you throw things into, which is what is our audience going to continue to tune in for what are some of the cutting edge topics that we could discuss directly with them. And so when we look at it from our side, it, it's been a really transformative effort in terms of looking at cryptocurrency and looking at the cannabis conversations and looking at so many different realms and identifying where people were really engaging with us, where we could drive even more of a conversation, connect people with the personalities that are driving all of these industries and do it to the next generation of 
capital essentially uh, across the world. And so we get all these, you know, comments that come in and people are chiming in with their thoughts because they're that much more inspired by some of the profiles that we're bringing to the network. So it's really interesting the way that we approach it, because if I look at how we would have done things previously um, or how the broader networks would have done things previously, it would have just been, all right, here's the breaking news. Here's the topics that are kind of driven by our sponsors. Um, and, and we, you know, we do have our sponsors. We, we've got our partners, of course, that we do work with, and we love the, the topics that we're able to partner with them on. And then there's also this realm of, all right, well, let's test something that the CNBCs or the Bloombergs wouldn't necessarily spend a ton of time on. And then when you see some of those networks somewhat looking at what you're doing and then bringing that more into the fold on their side as well, you know that you really did something right, that it's really clicking and it's resounding with viewers, not only on your platform, but more so on theirs as well, which allows you the opportunity to steal some of that market share away. And so, you know, we're, we're very scrappy about how we approach content and about how we approach delivery and all of these things coming together, I think combines to create the engine that Cheddar is and all of the profiles that really make up who the company uh, has become and is, and is continuing to go to. So main takeaway, and you use the nice words, cryptocurrency and cannabis industry, but if you want to get into millennials in the news, it's Bitcoin and weed is what you're saying. That's the big takeaway from this. You know, that's one of the, that's one of the, <laughs> one, okay, one, one of them, right? <laughs> but yes, yeah, I mean, it's definitely tackling all the hot button issues yeah. because when we think about millennials, right, it's one of the areas where a lot of people want to toss the word around for, for some buzz or for some clickbait when they take a video into their online presence or their online platform. But, you know, for us, it's it's everything. It's you know everything is targeted towards millennials, so we don't necessarily need to layer that on for clickbait. People know who we're going after, and we're going after some of the older age groups who are interested in knowing what the next wave of technology is, what the next wave of entertainment is, what the next wave of distribution is, and all of these different industries that have yet to really be regulated or even fully discovered by some major companies and historical players. You know. All those people flock to Cheddar for that reason, because we're connecting them with those profiles. And so, yes, to a certain extent, you toss out some words like Bitcoin and like cannabis, but you also toss out some historical players like, you know, looking at some of the healthcare industry specifically. And and when we talk about healthcare and how, you know, medicinal um, marijuana is is one of the most approved, or if not the most approved kind of level, especially versus recreational right now, it definitely is. Um, when we look at that, we kind of tackle it from the perspective of, all right, well, who are the big companies that you should be looking at as a result of this? Because nobody would look at the marijuana industry and, and immediately click in their head, you know what, Scott's miracle Grow. that's a really historical company uh, that is publicly traded, but still benefits from this industry. And so connecting them with the business profiles that matter, that drive the industry forward even more, that already have a stake in the ground, and then even those that are trying to get their foot in the door in the industry and create that much more buzz. We're connecting the two the two sides very well and really putting the story together for all of our viewers, I think, on a daily basis. But you guys do it in a way that's still very streamlined, very professional. Like when you watch Cheddar, it looks, I mean, there is muscle behind it in terms of financials and 
production value. It's not just Wayne's World, you know, hey, we're cool millennial news. We're in a basement, like that kind of vibe. You know what I mean? <laughs> so how much is that by design? Because obviously you're trying to revolutionize this industry, you individually and Cheddar as a whole, based on the topics you guys cover and the people you talk to. How much of it, though, does that bleed into your delivery? Like literally the way you talk, the way you dress, the way the sets are designed. Where do you guys kind of draw the line or what's that spectrum like between, hey, we want to be edgy and cool uh, to sound uncool uh, for a second, but also we want to be something that people will look at and take seriously. And and thinking about that, one word specifically comes to mind, and this has been tossed around internally, and I'm sure across the industry as well, but it's kind of infotainment, right? You get the information, you get the meaty side of whatever the story is, but you're also so connected with the profiles that are presenting that story to you that you feel more prone to or more likely to stay tuned for that much longer. And I would say there are a few things in terms of our team and how we've uh, really approach so many different stories and, and, and at least the time I've been there and definitely before then because I was a Cheddar viewer before I even joined. And I would say that there, there's two definitive ways that I would break this down. And one of them is, you know, I got to give credit to all the uh, the producers who do so much work on every single segment that goes on. And it's amazing to collaborate with them ahead of some of the shows that take place because we're all running around, right, at a, at a million miles an hour. But when we take the time to actually digest what should we be delivering about this story and then go one step further and say, what is the cheddar angle? What are we then talking about? What are we then communicating? And how are we doing it differently than some of those other historical players in the space that people are tuning up into us for the reasons that they're not tuning into them, which is the delivery and and the positioning and so that's one element and then i would also you know kind of just praise the other the other anchors as well because everybody kind of brings their own unique perspective to the table which is which is really amazing to hear from their side of the story hear from their historical references as well because everybody's got kind of their own beat that they're covering right and so when we think through that and when we collaborate even ahead of shows and saying, hey, this is how I plan on approaching this story because I know X, Y, and Z about this particular industry. And I was a part of a deal for me at NASDAQ. I was a part of you know this company going public. And I remember that buzz that day when this happened. I remember what the broader sentiment around the industry was in the particular sector that they're operating. And I can add that to the conversation. And so we very much know kind of, I don't want to say what our lanes are because I feel like we don't necessarily have lanes, but we do so have a track that we're all kind of running on at the same pace. And at the same time, we also know where we can pass the baton off to somebody else and effectively say, hey, run with this. And so one thing that I would say that our team does really well is just the overall collaboration, the communication throughout, during shows, ahead of shows, and then even more so afterwards about what should be getting socialized that much more, right? Because we are in that social realm and we are in that social element that allows us to then have the content permeate that much better throughout the social sphere, whether it's on Twitter or on Facebook or on LinkedIn. You know, we have kind of a couple different tracks of ways that we engage with viewers and consumers of our content, whether that is through these gadgets that people see on Cheddar and go, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's really cool. 
how do I get one of these? What's the price? And then bam, you see the price of it at the end of it. And so we're kind of engaging with people in that regard. And so you kind of get the cool aspect of cheddar and what we think is really making people excited about the future of everything and and specifically products that relate to the consumer. But additionally, on the other side, when you think about the news side, it comes down to a few things. And specifically, you know, if I had to put it into three specifics, it would be the, the content that we were talking about, how we approach that. It's the delivery. And then we also, I think the way that we connect with people so well is that we emulate with the drive of our audience, right? So we connect with this consumer that's trying to do better themselves, that considers themselves, and you know, I'm from Philadelphia, so I got to throw this in there, this underdog reference almost where- <laughs> I can't we, afford the Rocky music rights or else I'd put them in here as an underdog. <laughs> I got but, what you're saying. <laughs> absolutely. But that, you know, not to say that everybody out there that's watching Cheddar is an underdog, because we do have a lot of historical players on the financial markets and on the streets and in, and in Wall Street watching our network. And they want to know what the next level of conversations is around some of the historical industries that they've covered for so long. And so when you hear things like that, it's kind of reaffirmation around the work that you are doing. And it's amazing to hear some of our breaking stories getting tossed into even more notes that go out, analyst notes that go out from some of the big banks and firms that people know so well uh, over the years. So, you know, just putting a button on it, I would say if, if I just come back to those three things, the content, the delivery, and then the emulating with our audience, really connecting with uh, the fact that so many people, regardless of who they are, they're trying to do better for themselves. They, they perhaps see themselves as an underdog against some of the bigger players out there, especially millennials, if you're just getting into your career, or even if you are in your career, but you feel like you might be hitting a ceiling, or you know that there's somebody bigger or stronger or better out there or smarter, there's always going to be somebody like that. But that doesn't mean that you can't go out there and compete. And that's exactly what we're doing. And we're doing it in a, a fast, fun, and creative and informative way, so that people walk away with the information that they need, that they want, that they didn't even know they needed, and then additionally, that they connect with our brand that much more because they see the drive that we have to go up against some of those historical players and say, hey, we can disrupt this industry of financial news. So you guys are the underdog. Do you find that you're still trying to elbow your way in for recognition? Like when you tell people, I work for Cheddar. I anchor for Cheddar. I host this show for Cheddar. Do you find most people know what that is, what you're talking about? Or are you guys still facing that uphill battle of trying to get into that market saturation of people knowing, oh, yeah, I know Cheddar? I, I, I approach it two different ways, right? I would say you're always trying to take on more market share. There's, there's always an opportunity to, to tell your story that much more. But with that said, I, I don't think that we are in a position where we have to go out and say, uh, you know, and explain to every single person that we meet what we are, who we are and what we do, because that's how well these first two years for the organization have gone, right? It's taking this vision that, that John Steinberg and Peter Gornstein and uh, Eric Harris and Melissa Rosenthal all had, and they put this out there in such a good package that they were able to create the team around them that they needed to continue the growth and expansion and make sure that Every person across every walk of life, regardless of whatever region in the world they find themselves in, one way or another, hears about Cheddar and then is more so inclined to find out more about us doing their own due diligence. Because 
similar to how salespeople don't have to do as much this day and age with the digital technology that is out there for people, for customers specifically, to do their own research ahead of time. The content consumer is the same way. They can do all the research ahead of time that they need to know, and they're going to decide very quickly whether or not they still want to affiliate or still want to watch your content. But that gives you the opportunity to present as much as possible ahead of time. Let them know very clearly and distinctly everything that you cover, why you do it differently, and create an opportunity to have more touch points with that same consumer. Man, so well put, Brad. Man, that's why I get you on the podcast, man, because you talk good. <laughs> <laughs> it's that marketing background. <laughs> good, good. I like that. Uh, we are going to get to that in a sec, your, your history and your background, because you did come from a non-hosting career track to now doing this. But a couple of quick lightning round questions while we're talking cheddar and finances and that kind of stuff. So I've got a couple of them for you before we talk about your past. First one, you're obviously very millennial driven and millennials are kind of famous for not being great with money, right? We just spend way too much of our paycheck on rent and we're buying more dogs, food supplies than we are saving for our 401ks. Of all the experience you've had covering this sector, what's the one biggest financial mistake millennials make? So I'm going to let you get on your soapbox and say, listen, all you people born between whatever <laughs> it is now, 1980 and 96, whatever they decided, here's what you should be doing instead. What's the one big mistake we make the most? Wow. Ooh, that's a good one. All right. I know, so, there, are, I know there are lots of them. <laughs> so there, try, and, try and pick one. There are quite a few. You know, I would say that our generation is known for being one that spends money on a lot of experiences. Uh, I would say that we could do this probably more in moderation, right? It would really help set up for a better financial future. Um, and, and this is why I say that. I mean, and I've been known for not taking too many vacations and I probably should take more vacations. But the thing that I've learned with that as well in moderating my own experiences is that you don't need to pay a ton of money to have a good experience uh, in the experiential economy that some business is trying to put you into and, and push you into and get all of your dollars. You can still have that same experience, you know, finding these these kind of boutique opportunities where it's going to save you a couple dollars here and there. And those dollars add up and you can eventually put them into something else, whether that is an investment or just putting it away for you know, a house or, you know, something larger or car at the end of the day, which both of those, well, it's sick for the car because that's a depreciating asset, uh, are still <laughs> an investment. <laughs> but that car could be an investment if it's going to get you to work. So some people are going to argue it that way. I haven't had a car since I moved to New York, which is, um, you know, I I still harbor some feelings about that. But um, Ooh, I saw, that's how we touched the nerve. Uh, yeah, little little nerve. Um, but it's it's all good. You know, there are a few things that I learned about not having a car. So that's another story. But I, I would say, you know, just picking the right experiences. I think um, the ones that will will be very compelling. That's not to say that you can't have fun. You can't splurge on an experience here and there. But you know, in moderation, I think is the biggest thing. You know, I, I found I was spending way too much money on food when I moved to New York. I was trying to, you know, fit into that foodie lifestyle. And I said, ah, you know what, man, I need to spend a ton of money on the places that I eat at. But you know what I learned is that I can just as easily find out a way to 
figure out what those people are making. So you can have an acquired taste, but once you acquire that taste, it's almost like gambling, no one to get out, right? Because then if you keep spending, if you keep sitting at the table, you're just going to keep giving them more money. And unless you're a content creator and you're getting sponsored for your foodie posts, and that's great. And I admire all those people who are. And if you know a way to get me into that industry, you know, just give me a call. <laughs> but for those of us who are not and have to look at the ways that we're consuming some of these food experiences, especially that can that can add up and get a little bit costly. One of the things that I'd love to learn how to do was cook myself because I never want to be in a position when I get older and, you know, have a family, have kids where, you know, I've always got to be that dad that's like, all right, we're going to eat out tonight. Like, I want to be able to tonight, every night. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Be the cool dad, at least. Right. The cool dad that knows how to make a, a nice seafood paella for his kids or something like that. Or, you know, I, I want to be that dad instead that knows how to be, um, you know, kind of kind of sustain or um, really make sure that his kids see the nuances of knowing how to cook. What are the benefits of it? You save more money. You're able to just make sure that you can still have an acquired taste and, and be able to experience so many of those different nuances that food can offer, but you don't have to spend a million dollars for it a year. So that would be one of the things I would say probably. All right, so moderation in your experiences. What, is, what about though, let's shine some light because millennials aren't all bad. We haven't killed every industry and like mortgaged our futures for the now. Depends What's who you one, ask. Depends <laughs> who you ask, yeah. I think the older you are, the more of a, of a detrimental take on millennials you're going to have. Uh, but what's something we've done well as a generation financially? Like, what's the one thing that millennials are actually getting praise and deservedly so for a financial decision or, or a habit that they have? I would say it's just more of a mindset. I, I would say millennials take more risks. And, and we've heard about, um, I, I think we've seen all of the problems and all of the woes that our parents went through during the recession. Some of us perhaps were even in the markets during that time. Um, but for the majority of us, we were not, right? And so we recognize the opportunity of a market that is accelerating. Um, and though some analysts may be bearish on the rate at which it's accelerating, millennials, I think, because of the time that we're at right now, we're identifying risk opportunities a little bit better, looking at some of the historical events that have taken place and applying that, those same learnings to really know what we should be steering clear of and where we should be taking risks into. Um, and so there are several areas and several asset classes, but I think the fact that millennials are really hedging their bets that much better, but also still taking risks where necessary and they're hedging, you know, whether that's through an ETF or a broader sector um, ETF, something that's going to give them a little more balance and then taking risks on, you know, one or two stocks where they might be picking and not necessarily subjecting themselves to a pure stock picker's play, I think that's what millennials are doing smarter than some of the previous generations. And it's because the asset classes have advanced as well. Some of these asset classes that we're looking at in today's economy weren't available, you know, not even 10, 15 years ago, some of them not even five years ago, right? So that's where we look at millennials. And I specifically think millennials are, are doing, you know, a good job. Basically, they look at finance and say YOLO because now they have that ability to do that. And that's kind of a financial investment strategy now, right? Just go for a little more risk while you're young. And I think our parents, at least my parents, it was like, hey, we're 20. We got to buy a house. We got to settle down, get a mutual fund, and that's it. Whereas now it's like, yeah, let me buy some Apple stock, some Netflix stock, put that in my funds and see what happens. 
Yeah. Which yeah. it's fun. It's exciting. Um, all right. Let's look long term, though. Last one here before we get to uh, some of your career talk, Brad. Uh, if you're going to invest in one stock, one company for the long term, like right now, and the disclaimer, you know, we are not applicable or liable for any losses you might incur financially. Yes. But yes. If you're I looking for the next. Exactly. So don't invest any more than you're willing to lose. That's what I've learned in my uh, in my time in yes. the game. Um, one stock for the next 10, 20, 50 years, I don't know, or one company that you would suggest investing in you think is, is here for the long term. What's your what, what's the, the Brad Smith? I don't even know the, the gold pick or whatever. What do you got for us? All right. So uh, so, yes, first and foremost, I will echo those comments you just said a moment ago. Past performance does not equal future results. Consult your financial manager. <laughs> but <laughs> outside of that um, and, and really looking at the space that we're in right now, so many millennials and, and people in general, just investors, the retail investor is looking at a market where you've got some big players that dabble in a few different spaces um, and if you're Amazon, you just dabble in all of them and hope to wipe out some competitors and not care about profit that you might um, see or not see as a result of it in those particular reach categories and strategic initiatives. But for me and what I've been tracking specifically, I almost look at a company like Facebook and sure, you know, everybody's going to say yada, 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 Facebook this, Facebook that. And, you know, from the other side, they're going to say, well, what about all the regulation that's taking place? And should they be doing more to combat fake news? And yes, I do believe they should be. We actually just had a conversation yesterday with Facebook co-founder Chris Hughes and asked him that very question. Should Facebook be doing more to combat fake news? And he, you know, did very clearly recognize that there is a growth that's taken place to the platform. And because of that growth, there is also responsibility that needs to be assumed when you see some of the conversations that have transpired and what the engine has become. And some of those things were foreseeable on their side, but it wasn't baked in at that particular time. But it it does require a shift in their way of thinking right now. So that's the way that it should be seen from, from that particular conversation. But then there's another one, which is where you look at how much revenue they're bringing in in terms of advertising alone. And it really is an advertising engine. It's this duopoly that's up there with Google. And for people who didn't get in on Google early on, uh, even though we are the generation that essentially made Google as popular as it is because of our willingness and ability to consistently go back to the same search platform and do all of our searches because early on it was showing us how quickly it was bringing us all these results. And man, that's cool, right? So now we're looking at Facebook and saying, all right, well, it looks like they have a similar advertising model. They're able to do the same targeting, similar targeting to Google. They've got some of the elements that Google also has. And so if you look at it from an advertising perspective, which naturally I'm a bit biased because I come from a marketing background, that's the way I approach some of these evaluations. And specifically with Google, if we looked at their past quarter, that came in, advertising alone came in more than 80%, I think it was 84% to be exact, of their revenue. And so for a business that really has so much, Alphabet has so much going on for 84% of that to still be being driven by advertising alone means there's something big to this where we also look at Amazon throwing their hat into the mix even more so too. So net to round this out, 
for people who are priced out of Google and Alphabet, or excuse me, Google and Amazon or Alphabet and Amazon, um, then Facebook provides kind of something that's a little bit more mature than some of the the Twitter players out there and the Snapchats and um, other social media realms that are trying to rely on advertising so much to drive uh, revenue. And it gives you a little bit more mature of a company that continues to really take on the same strategy that we've been watching from Amazon and Alphabet over the years, which is acquire to grow. And so Facebook and its acquisitions that it's made over the most recent five years acquiring Instagram and leveraging that and being able to create that and turn that into a major advertising engine as well. And then additionally, what they're trying to do in WhatsApp and monetize that even more so in Messenger and all these different plays. um, I think that's a company where we've probably harked on it to death, but it's a company that's worthy of this attention that everybody is giving it. Zuckerberg is the future, as he's been telling us for the last 15 years. Um, enough about him, though, Brad. Let's talk more about you. Um, we alluded to a couple times that you have a marketing background. You came from NASDAQ. That's where you were before Cheddar. People can get the full lowdown if they look you up on LinkedIn. But talk to me, man. How did you get into this side of things? You spent a while working you know, on the marketing side, and then all of a sudden, you show up on camera, and now you're talking about stuff like Alphabet and Amazon and Facebook and the future of finance and uh, Bitcoin and cryptos and all this other stuff. How'd that, how'd that switch happen? Yeah, it's, you know, a transition that I look back on and just say, wow, sometimes, you know, how did, how did we get here? How did I get here? What are, you know, what even happened to be at this point? And, you know, one of the things naturally, um, just how I was raised, I, I give all praise to God because like none of this could have been possible without him. And then at the same time, I also kind of try to figure out where some of those elements along, you know, life were lined up for this to, to even take place. And it's been a crazy transition and one that I've, I've wanted for so long and has um, been so welcome. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that even before this, I was kind of doing um, my own little thing on Instagram. And when I say little thing, I mean, it was little, it was tiny. Uh, it was uh, Brunch Money Brad. That was my kind of way into um my own kind brunch of brunch money brad brunch money like brad a, like a mid 90s uh like rapper you'd find an eight mile or something i love yeah, that name who would just casually show up at your brunches and tell you about what stocks were really doing well that week oh, so man, that's yeah movie. just yeah let me interrupt y'all's eggs and toast real quick <laughs> um to bring you this special message yeah so i was kind of doing that and this was of while I was at NASDAQ and it was just a weekend project, right? I just wanted to test things out. I wanted to see what it would be like if I actually delivered financial news in the style and the flow and the kind of uh, phrasing that would resound with people who were like me, because I I don't know if, if you or any of your listeners feel this way as well, but look, man, when I was growing up and watching CNBC, because that's what I did, and I was that nerd that would go home and watch CNBC and then turn on SportsCenter afterwards. I can't say that's how I grew up. Yeah, SportsCenter, <laughs> yes. CNBC, I think I skipped right over. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because you would turn it on, and you know naturally you see some of the, the historic players on there, and I, I give so much credit to them for allowing me to see what 
someone who reports financial news, um, what their delivery is, what their style is like. But then in switching over from, you know, um, Maria over to Stuart Scott, just 30 minutes later after watching CNBC when I get home and then going over to SportsCenter and watching Stu and having him say booyah and present things in a manner that I felt like somebody was talking to me at the barbershop. And that was an environment that I felt more comfortable in. And if I went to the barbershop and tried to spit financial news to somebody, it wasn't necessarily going to go down the same way as if we were talking about the debate around Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. So one of the things that I wanted to test through this effort that I was doing on weekends was just how would people receive it? And so I didn't necessarily promote it a ton. I put it on my Facebook page. I put it out on my Twitter maybe once or twice. And I just kind of let it be a standalone thing. And I thought about putting some dollars behind it to try and garner even more views. I said, you know what? Let me just see what this does organically first. Let me see what the comments are. And some of the reviews that I got back from you know, friends, family, from random people who were just watching it, from people within my company who I did not tell anything about this effort to, <laughs> the comments that came back were actually really great. And so leveraging that feedback, I said, all right, well, maybe I should produce, you know, another three segments or, you know, the next three segments. And so eventually, I think I only got out to 12 or 15 segments, but because it was, it's, you know, a major haul, especially when you're working at the stock market during the week and you just kind of want to relax on weekends and you're still kind of always on preparing for whatever deal you're going to be working on that week or whatever project you're on. And because it was one of those weekend things and, and you know, it, it was an opportunity for me to just kind of express and merge two different areas, which was the content side, which you know, everybody in the financial news side and everybody in the general business realm was covering already. But to merge that with the delivery style of a Stuart Scott, who I looked up to for so long and, and still do, you know, um, God rest his soul, um, because of how he was able to connect a new, in his conversation, sports viewer with the news that were taking place, that was taking place across pro sports. Um, and do it in a way that was so engaging. And so bringing that into the financial realm, I looked at that as an opportunity for more engagement to drive more of a connection point with a generation that perhaps sometimes felt really turned off by some of the financial news players because they didn't see the people and the personalities that look like them if you were, in my case, growing up and you didn't see a ton of diversity on some of these networks. And so you you had in the back of your mind that, man, it would be awesome to be on TV talking about the business side of, you know, what's taking place in the sports world or the business side of what's taking place in retail and, and healthcare and what's really driving these. But would people listen? And they're only going to listen if you actually present it to them in a fashion that's engaging to them, that makes them feel like you're not talking at them, but you're having a conversation with them. And so that means for me, it's almost got to feel like, hey, bro, we're just at the barbershop and we're going to talk Apple for a little bit right now. Because one of the big things that you need to know is that the average selling price of these iPhones came in at $600 or $796 in the past quarter. Why is that important? Because that means that you're not the only one that's not purchasing that big iPhone 10 with that astronomical price tag of $1,000 or $1,200. So you can rest assured. There are other people that are just like you that are waiting 
a little bit later down the line until they work out some of those flaws, until they make some of those upgrades, which they know we know they will, and they come out with an iPhone XS or iPhone XS, whatever you're calling it, in your hood. And you can rest assured that I'm going to be the one right in line next to you because I didn't purchase it either. But I can talk about some of these numbers. And so kind of being relatable, that's just something where I, I really wanted to, and so many of the team at Cheddar and, and the anchors, what I think we're doing so well about how we approach the conversations around these matters. And so, you know, even prior to that whole, um, even prior to that whole project, was working at NASDAQ uh, in listings for, you know, anybody that doesn't know what listings is at an exchange. So NASDAQ stock market, obviously, companies list on an exchange, which means essentially they choose to either A, go public on that exchange, or perhaps they went public on another exchange, but they choose to switch over to the exchange to list their shares so that they can trade publicly. And so uh, that was the division that I worked in for uh, about three years at NASDAQ. And then for a year and a half prior to that, I was actually working for, um, it's still at NASDAQ, but within the data business and the transaction services business. And then also kind of supporting everybody with email marketing. So it's it's really been quite the transition from when I started there in 2013 as somebody who got hired to do email marketing and was coding emails when I got there and working as one of the uh, admins for, for our email marketing efforts within Eloqua and then transitioning, you know, fast forward four, four and a half, five years later, well, four and a half years later. And here we are, you know, really disrupting financial news uh, in a compelling way. And um, it, I mean, it's been quite the journey. And I'll, I'll just cap off this overall transition with something that our CEO once said, John, Ste John Steinberg, um, that really resounded with me, which is you're always in the process of reinventing yourself. And this whole thing has been one major reinvention, but it's been a very welcome one that's challenged me, that's, you know, broke me at some times. But at the same time, it's been so rewarding to see all of the elements come together over time and be able to look back and say, you know what, that's why I went through that crap or that mess was because I had to realize exactly what experiencing that was like so that I could get to this next level. And so, you know, that trial just set me up for that next, that next, you know, stage or that next level of being able to do the job that I'm doing today. Um, and, you know, I would just encourage everybody out there. There's a, another quote out there by, um, I believe it's by Pastor Willie Jolly that just says, a setback is nothing but a setup for a comeback. And that's all that whole period was, was, you know, all that time of, you know, trials and everything that I might have been going through or all the struggles and, you know, trying to create my own thing and then testing it and then even arguably failing, I'll say abandoning it, just a euphemistically put a button <laughs> on that. But, you know, set up, uh, setback is nothing but a setup for a comeback. And, and that's, you know, exactly what I'm living right now. All right, Brad. Well, let's put you to the test then. Now that you are on the track you've always wanted to be on, Brunch Money Brad is now anchoring full-time for a living, which is great. Something I do uh, every week with every guest is I give them the opportunity, and then we have, we're almost done here. we just got a couple of quick, fun ones for you at the end. But first, I do turn the tables, Brad, which even though this is my show, I turn the tables and let the guests ask me any question they want. So 
Put your anchor hat on. Put your host hat on. You don't have to. You can pass if you like as well. But if there's anything that you feel you'd want to ask me, it can be specific. It can be general. It can be about anything in the world. Now's your chance. Take it if you want. All right. So, you know, I'm on vacation, so I am totally um, I'm going to welcome this opportunity, even though I have forfeited my rights to ask questions to anybody for the next three days. <laughs> but Well, I'm not, I'm not paying you for this, so you technically are still on vacation. This is all voluntary. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, all right. So here's what I want to know. We'll start off with an easy one here. March Madness going on right now, starting today. I haven't filled out my bracket completely yet. I know which upsets are going to happen, though. I want to know who you have either winning the entire thing or in the final four. Ooh, I had, I actually forgot because I filled my bracket out a couple days ago. Uh, so I'm going to fire it up right now because I'm on my computer. Okay. So I'm going to go to my, I went my ESPN and. Oh, well, while, my, you're, uh, while you're looking that up, let me ask you this question. Is there right. a team oh, that, that actually jumps out to you from what we've seen during the season? I mean, we, we've, we've followed a lot of storylines here this season, whether it's Trey Young doing great at the beginning of the season and then kind of stalling more towards the more towards the latter half of the season. And then you've got a, a team like Villanova that's been really just crushing it. And it makes me proud to be a native Pennsylvanian. Um, you know, when you think about some of these teams that are in the tournament, is there one that has a story that jumps out to you or are we just so inundated with, all of the investigations taking place across NCAA men's basketball and just a broader landscape that, you know, this, this tournament is purely just, you know, suspect to a certain extent. I'm going to tie both of those things together. Cause like you Brad, I'm a professional media person too. So I know how to do this stuff, you know, pretty <laughs> Um A yeah, we have, we haven't had that team this year, right? Like, some of the classic Duke or the Carolina teams, you think of, you know, Tyler Hansborough or the Jay Williams Duke teams that were just so much better than everyone else in college, right? I think the last couple of years and this year too, no different, it can be any one of 12 teams that are going to win this thing, right? Um, so I have my bracket up right now. I actually picked Villanova to win the national title. Wow. Uh, on the main line. Uh, I always have a soft spot for them. The year they went to the final four and actually lost to Carolina, I think that was a Hansborough team. I was a radio host for them. I did their like uh, studio show, so I felt you know a connection with the Wildcats. So I always like had the soft spot for them. Okay. I just think they had the most experience to win it. But to your other point of all the scandals and stuff, the one team I think is going to make a lot of noise in this tournament is a team that was embroiled in a lot of these scandals, Arizona. Ooh, I think DeAndre Ayton is just a monster. It's a freaking beast. But I also feel like that team is going to have a little chip on their shoulder or a big chip on their shoulder because of all the stuff they've gone through. And a lot of these allegations that now we're finding out maybe came out prematurely, maybe weren't as true as we suspected. And I think they're playing on a mission to kind of prove everybody wrong and prove to everyone that, Hey, this season's about us, not about all these allegations that we have and accusations coming at us. So I have them going all the way to the final, but losing to Villanova in the title game. So that's, that's my March madness prediction. How about you? I'm turning it back on you now. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, um, well, first, since you said Villanova, we also got to mention the fact that they got their redemption recently in the national championship against UNC. So got to throw that back out there. But I remember watching that game. I remember watching that game with, I believe it was Randy Foy that was playing for Villanova at the time. You had, you had two big point guards that were at Villanova and they have a, they have a history of great guards, but Nonetheless, um, you know, a lot of my people 
in Pennsylvania would probably be a little bit disheartened and dismayed to hear this. Um, and so that's why I'm flying out of town immediately after I say this <laughs> is that I have Villanova losing to Purdue actually in that particular wow. region, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it, that was a hard decision. Um, I believe I have Purdue, Virginia, Michigan state, and, uh, who do I have? UVA, Michigan state, Purdue. And do I have UNC? I might have UNC as well. Yeah, that would be their bracket. Hey, man, that you can't go wrong. It's much madness, right? There's literally a billion different brackets online of people's, and none of them are ever 100% right. So we'll see. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll give you a call back in a month, and we'll see how your Final Four came out versus mine. Well, that, well that's um, the thing. That's the interesting thing about March Madness, right, is nobody can be perfect around this time oh, of year. There's the just so many variables. That's why you have guys like Warren Buffett who are throwing out these offers to give a million-dollar salary or a million-dollar bonus. I forget exactly what it is. I think it's a salary, actually, million dollars uh, to any employee that gets it right. And then if a specific school teams, and I believe it's one of the ones from Iowa or, or excuse me, Nebraska, where, where he's from. He's from Cornhusker Nation, uh, I believe, Omaha specifically. The Oracle of Omaha, that's why they call him that. Um, if one of those schools wins – then he doubles it. So, so yeah, this is an interesting time of year. There's a lot of wagers going on. Um, so, uh, but he, you know, second question, and I'll stay with sports cause I don't get to talk it all the time. And I'm always, I'm always itching to talk it a little bit on the show. And that's why all of my analogies are sports related analogies when, <laughs> when I'm on the show as well. Hey, you're talking my language, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Since I, and so since I know that you covered this space for so long, what, what is the, the, best event that you would say, or most, perhaps better question, what's the most enlightening event? And that could go in two ways, because it could be an event that actually went really, really well, and you were just absolutely flabbergasted at the ability of, you know, pro sports or college sports or whatever, or it could have been something that really disheartened you about the state of the broader sports industry. So what, what's the most enlightening event that, that you covered or um, or wrote about or, or, you know, did a broadcast on while, while you were doing sports? Hmm. Uh, good question. Enlightening is a nice little catch-all word because you're right. It can go either really well or really poorly depending how you want to spin the energy yeah. to this. Um, I would say minor league baseball in general. Um, so I spent two years in the minors, one for an affiliated team. So they were an actual uh, minor league affiliate for a major league team. At the time, it was the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then one year for an unaffiliated team, which is basically these barnstorming minor league teams that are just, you know, guys in their last chance or guys who weren't good enough to get a contract somewhere trying to prove themselves. And these leagues exist just for themselves. And just the, A, the, the amount of guys trying to do this, I mean, there are you know, five, six levels of minor league baseball affiliated and who knows how many independent leagues and it's 30 to 50 guys on a roster per year because of turnover. So you start doing that math and there are literally these thousands of guys who are technically professional baseball players, but they're making a couple hundred bucks a month maybe. And they're living five to a room. And some of them are sending money back to their kids and their family in other countries or others of them are working uh, side jobs just to get by um, guys who are in their 30s who think they still have that shot at the majors, even though the last 10 to 15 years of their performance tells them to think otherwise. Uh, the 12-hour bus rides from North Carolina to Ohio for like a one-three game series. There's just so much that people, I think, don't realize that goes into the uh, the toil of trying to make it if you're an athlete. 
And uh, baseball, it's kind of cruel in a way because they give you so many opportunities to keep hanging on to that dream. Like basketball, right? You're either in the NBA, you're in the G League, or you're in one of these professional leagues around the world. Your options are not that limited. Football, same thing. Like You kind of know if you're going to make it or not pretty soon. But baseball, because there are just so many teams at so many levels and so many places, it's almost like a false sense of hope for a lot of these guys. And, and you really have to know, all right, I just don't got it. And, uh, and, and talking to some guys who I knew that retired at the time, you know, when you're 26 and you've done the only thing you've done your whole life and now you really decide I'm not good enough to do it anymore, that's kind of weird to see someone come to grips with that when people like you and me can do what we do until we're 60, 70, 80 if we wanted and, and if, if we're good enough. But um, yeah, so it's just people think of athletes and sports as just seeing LeBron James or Odell Beckham, you know, make it. But there are literally thousands of these guys uh, and women too that just are, are stuck kind of in this purgatory before deciding what they do with the rest of their life. So uh, that was the most enlightening uh, thing I've done in my in my sports career, for sure. Minor league baseball, man. It's, it's a wild world. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you on all that. Um, and then my last question for you would be, all right, are, are we going to see you subbing in for Mike and Mike or something like that on ESPN? <laughs> You've already got one half of it down, so – and then the hey. other half is the is the the abilities, and you, you got that man. So what's what's the hey, deal, Brad? Your your lips to God's ears, man. I got a lot of free time now, so if anyone's listening and they want a guy to talk sports on camera for them, I'm available. So I, <laughs> I'd love to. Uh, but no, I mean it's certainly something that I've loved doing. Uh, sports is my first love. You know, it's the way you've been talking too. You know, I grew up same thing as you. We're kind of the same age. You know, Stuart Scott and Rich Eisen. That was my every morning. Yep. Uh, waking up and that's been uh, that's been kind of a dream since childhood so yeah if anyone's listening and or give give brad and me get us both the show together we can do sports <laughs> on the weekends while you do cheddar during the week we'll figure something out as long as it's from the barbershop i'm cool i gotta get the cut Perfect. on the weekends <laughs> that works for me that's good for me um brad last segment i do with everyone is called the fun five it's five quick fun questions designed for you and you alone so no need to spend that much time breaking these down just i want to hear the gut answer and no need to explain yourself or defend yourself. All right, you ready? Got it. Let's do it. Number number one, you work for cheddar, but what's your actual favorite cheese? Ooh, Munster. Oh, underrated. I used to have Munster a lot as a kid. My mom loves it. No it one is. really gives it enough props, but Munster's great. Good choice. Second, second close is Pepper Jack for sure. Ooh, wild card. I'm a mozzarella guy, particularly when it's fried and dumped in stick form in mozzarella. In, uh, <laughs> uh, question number two. Yeah, yeah, you know, mix it up. Got to get my dairy and calcium. Uh, question number two. You're also, you're a musician and you, you're a drummer, right? You've drummed with a bunch of different acts before from what yeah. I was reading. Oh, yeah. uh, so question two, who's the best drummer of all time? Oh, oh, man. I was hoping that wasn't going to be it. All right, naturally... <laughs> Naturally, mm, man, you really put me in a corner. I got some people that are going to call me after this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say Chris Coleman. Chris Coleman. He's uh, All right. he's the drummer. He's played for Prince. He's played for um, a particular uh, artist in the gospel. Well, a lot of – he's played for everybody. I, I said Prince. Do I need to say more? Uh, no, that, that's it. That's, that's pretty much – that's the only bona fide you need on your resume if you're, if you're a musician. So Chris man. Coleman. All right. Uh, yeah. Direct. If you disagree, direct all your uh, replies at the Brad Smith. On <laughs> uh, qu question three. Uh, these are not getting any easier, but I'm not letting up on you. Who's your favorite Philly athlete of all time? 
Oh, no doubt. Allen Iverson, hands down, done. Okay, so that wasn't a hard question. question. That was a pretty easy one. Not even hard, it is, nope. It is amazing. People our age, I mean, I grew up in central Jersey, so I was more Knicks, Nets territory, but like when AI came through, just what he did for that league and just, you know, the image of what a superstar could be, and he's so tough, man. You and that Ty Lue step over in the finals, oh my gosh, he was just, he was the coolest. He was the That's coolest. the thing. You you talk about embodying your audience and really what they're striving for and like what, what they're um, exactly, what they're going through. AI was the underdog of underdogs, right? He's short. He's not a huge guy. He's not amazingly strong. But this guy found a way to get it done. And even though we fell short of the championship that one year, 2000, 2001, you know, look, we were going up against Goliath and we, we, we stole a game when nobody thought we yeah. would. So AI, he was, uh, he, was, he was scrappy. He was the underdog. And he really, uh, he put it down for the city of Philadelphia. All right. We're going to be in the Philly zone here to finish out the fun five. Uh, question four, your Eagles just won the Super Bowl. How many items of Eagle Super Bowl champion memorabilia have you bought? Oh, my gosh. All right. So funny thing is none. Um, my oh. mother, because I don't leave it. I don't live in Eagles territory, so I can't get any of it. They don't even carry it here in New York. It's you, just you're not so the guy hard. that's going to like uh, like the Sports Illustrated Champions pack. You don't go online and order a subscription. So you get like the hat and the plaque and the T-shirt and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, and do that 6 a.m. purchase so that I look really cool when it's getting delivered. And they're like, all right, so you got three boxes worth of uh, Eagles paraphernalia. <laughs> yep, no, yep. I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. But um, I thought about ordering a personalized jersey. I, I did think about that. I'm still thinking on it. But just to commemorate it, uh, to, to, right. to look back on it and be like, that's the year that I got that jersey. I like it. And then question five, the last one, Brad. Uh, I've been on a run, actually, of Philly guests. I think three of my last four uh, podcast guests have all grown up in the Philadelphia area. So I've asked this question a lot. But it's a standard. i got to ask every Philly-related person that comes to the show, where do you find the best cheesesteak in Philly? It's Kabibble, South Street. No questions asked. Anybody that says Pats or Jim's is crazy, don't even listen to them. Sunny's I haven't tried yet. Um, so I, 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 I've heard things about them, but I haven't tried them yet. But it's Kabibble, South Street, done deal. You heard it from the man himself, Brad Smith. Uh, Brad, you're on vacation, so I'm going to let you go because you got places to be and things to do that don't involve talking uh, to me or anyone else for a couple days. But uh, plug what you want to plug. Where can people find you or they can they find more about Cheddar? Whatever you want to plug. Just this is your time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, such a pleasure joining you on today, Mike. And I, people can find me on Twitter at the Brad Smith. You can find me on Instagram at Brad Pixels. I thought it would be cool because, you know, pixels, pictures, yada, yada, yada. It's the techie, <laughs> geeky term and way to look at it. Um, and then, yeah, those are probably the most two platforms that I use. And of course, check us out on Cheddar. Absolutely, man. It's it's an amazing team that we work with. And I'm so proud of the work that we do on a day in and day out basis. And, you know, even though I am going on vacation, I'm still watching myself. Um, so, you know, I, I would say for anybody, find you find you a company that you not only want to be a part of, but that you also look at and you say, man, they're doing something amazing, even when you're not a part of the operation. So, um, so yeah, I would say that. Find us on Cheddar, Cheddar.com, at Cheddar, uh, on everything. Beautiful. And you can find out more about me if you're not sick of me yet. Hopefully, Brad, you brought a large audience to my podcast for the first time. 
uh, at Mike Janella on everything, and also visit MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes of the show. Make sure to subscribe. What's it going to cost you? Nothing. Uh, subscribe. A nice rating, maybe a, a review if you got a few words to share about the show. You can find me on iTunes, uh, Spotify now, Google Play, and the Android Store, uh, or of course on the website, anywhere else you listen to podcasts as well. Brad, thanks so much, man. Enjoy that vacation, and we'll talk to you when you get back. Such a pleasure, Mike. It's all of you guys. Thanks for listening. Also, don't forget the great outro music you're hearing right now. More information about that on my website as well. All right, for the Brad Smith, I'm Mike Janella. You listen to the Mike Janella Show. We'll try and do better next time. See ya!